The sermon preached at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota on November 24th, 2013, based on Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 12. Please stand. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. (coughs) The word from God, through which the (coughs) Holy Spirit points us to our King, Jesus Christ, is the first lesson today, Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 12. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, wash clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those words were not spoken to a prince growing up in the palace next in line for the throne. They were not spoken to a victorious general leading his loyal soldiers to the capital to claim the empire. They weren't spoken, not even to a charismatic politician rapidly rising in popularity, prestige, and power. Those words would have made sense under those circumstances. But how foolish to speak those words to a dying man. Remember me? Even if the dead can remember us, it does us no good. When you come into your kingdom? Death is the great equalizer. No matter how much power or stuff a person has, we leave this world as naked as we came into it, whether king or slave. How foolish to speak of a dying man's kingdom, especially when that dying man is a condemned, uh, has been condemned by the courts, and even his clothes have been divided up by his executioners. Dear friends, what remarkable wisdom is in those words, and what a miracle of the Holy Spirit they are, when that condemned criminal on the cross speaks them to that dying man named Jesus. Do we see Jesus through the same eyes of faith as that criminal did? Do we carry on our lives with the confidence that Jesus reigns? Do we live by holding on to God's word of promise? 
rather than by sight. What a challenge for these early believers at the end of Genesis to live by God's word of promise. For what they saw with their eyes seemed to contradict the promise. Yes, the text here is one of those wonderful prophecies, one of those marvelous promises the Lord made for his his believers to hold on to. Guided by the Holy Spirit, Jacob spoke these words of promise as he blessed his fourth oldest son, Judah. But how contrary these words are to what the people saw. How contrary to reality and the way the world works. For these words speak of victory. They speak of peace and prosperity. A king coming from Judah to whom would belong the obedience of the nations. Yes, this prophecy is echoing the same promise the Lord had made to Judah's father Jacob and to his grandfather Isaac and to his great-grandfather Abraham over 200 years earlier. The Lord had promised Abraham that he would bless him and protect him and that through him all nations on the earth would be blessed just as this king would have the obedience of the nations belonging to him. And yet, when they look past, back to the past 200 years since Abraham, those words of promise didn't seem to be all that much closer. What a challenge to live by God's word of promise. And we still face that challenge today, even even though we have all the many more advantages of seeing so many of his promises fulfilled. For as you well know, Jesus is this king. He is the lion from Judah. And he reigns. Which is our theme here today. The lion from Judah reigns. But what a challenge for us to live by God's word of promise rather than by sight. And and let's, let's dig into this promise here, this prophecy, to strengthen our faith. So that we hold on to the Lord's word of promise all the more rather than living by by what we see or by what we think reality is. The blessing begins. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? What a picture of victory. A lion tearing apart its prey and then lying down, content and in total control. No one's going to mess with him. Who'd rouse a resting lion? And yet how contrary to sight these words were. Think of the situation as Jacob spoke them. His family was not a great nation. They numbered about 70 at this time. And they were guests in a foreign land, in the land of Egypt. They did not even have a land of their own. 
how far from reality these these words appeared. And don't think that maybe, maybe part of it was believable because look, look, look at Joseph, Judah's brother. He had ruling power, didn't he? He was second in command next to Pharaoh in Egypt. But if anything, that, that made this promise sound all the more out of place because it says that Judah's family is the one from which the line would come, the king, not Joseph's family. And as the years went by, the promise didn't seem to be coming any closer to reality. And in fact, its reality, reality seemed to be going in the opposite direction. Remember what happened to, Joseph's, uh, to Jacob's family? Yes, they did grow into a numerous people there in Egypt. But after Joseph died, and the Egyptians forgot the good that he had done for the land, the Egyptians enslaved the descendants of Jacob, the Israelites. They looked much more like a mule than like a lion. Where was the victory? Where was the line of Judah tearing apart its prey? Now, as you well know, the Lord did raise up a deliverer. Was Moses the line from Judah? No. Moses didn't come from Judah. He came from the tribe of Levi. And his successor, Joshua, came from the tribe of Ephraim. Where was the lion from Judah? Centuries later, the Lord did raise up a king from the tribe of Judah. A king whose name you know well. But he was not the lion foretold in these words. Yes, his name was David. And the Lord gave him victory over Israel's enemies. And especially during the time of David's son Solomon, there was peace and prosperity in the land. But when we take a look at what the Lord promises in this prophecy, it is clear that David was only a shadow picturing the real, the true line of Judah who was yet to come. Listen, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. Let's, let's begin at the end there. David reigned over one nation, Israel. The line from Judah would rule over all the peoples. Yes, believers from every nation would be his people. And his reign would not end. The ruler staff, the kingly scepter would remain his forever and ever. And that was not true of David, was it? His reign came to an end. The reign of his son Solomon came to end. The kingdom was then divided and later carried into exile so that there was no one on the throne. Where? Where was the line of Judah? And what about the peace and prosperity pictured here? Remember, this is poetry and so it, it presents us pictures that convey truth without being meant to be taken in a literal way when you look at the entire context. 
Look at how peace is pictured with these words. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. Now, a flimsy vine will not hold a donkey when it tugs against it, and no one would want to ruin their choicest branch that bears the best fruit by tying a colt to it. But see, it's a picture of such peace that there is nothing there to startle the donkey or the colt, but rather they are in perfect harmony so that it doesn't matter tying them to a vine or a choice branch. That won't hurt anything. And then we also have that picture of abundance. Again, we realize it's, it's not a literal picture because no one would want to wash clothes in wine. But it's a picture of how prosperous and abundant the Lord's blessing would be. That even something as valuable as wine could be used like, like wash water and thrown out. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. But where? Where was this peace and prosperity? Century after century passed and things only got worse for the Israelites. Where? Where was the lion from Judah? Can you well imagine how a believer in the Old Testament times could look at these words of promise and then look at their current life and wonder, why aren't things better? Have you struggled with that question? Why aren't things better for me? I try to do what the Lord wants, but I seem stuck where I'm at. I fight temptation, but it doesn't get any easier. If anything, it gets gets harder. Others seem to do as they please, and everything goes fine for them. Well, I struggle along and just sink in deeper. Now, some may try to cheer you on by saying, well, well, just keep in there. Keep on trying. Do your best. Eventually, things will work out. But things don't always get better in life, do they? In fact, many of you, from your own personal testimony, could share with me how, after a certain age, this physical life gets more and more difficult the aches, the pains, the doctoring. Or think of the Israelites. They went from welcome guests to slave laborers there in Egypt. The longer they waited, the farther the prophecy and the words of promise seemed to be from reality. Now others, others may try to explain it by saying, yes, I I know you've been trying, but you must have messed up somewhere. Tell God you're sorry. Repent and then things will get better. Now that line of thought mixes law and gospel, mixes, confuses error and truth. We could spend a whole sermon and more just talking about what's wrong with those phrases tricky and confusing they are. But, but let, let, let's just suffice here by saying, yes, as believers, our, 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 our hearts go to the Lord in daily repentance in order to rejoice in his forgiveness. But that does not mean that things are going to get better for us here in this life. 
Again, think of David, that descendant from Judah who did reign on the throne. Remember how he repented and and truly received full and free forgiveness from the Lord, but some of his most heart-wrenching and troublesome times of life came afterwards. Where is the peace, prosperity, and victory? Where is the lion from Judah? Now some may look at all this and conclude, okay, why bother then? I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to live life as, my, as I please and what will be, will be. But that's turning our backs on the Lord's promise rather than holding on to it. That's setting up a different king in our hearts rather than the Lion of Judah in that way, as many in Israel also found out. That way, too, leads only to death and hell. For you see, dear friends, all those so-called helpful suggestions are based on what earthly eyes see. And when earthly eyes look at Jesus, they will always end up mocking him in one way or another. Yes, even, even when they compliment Jesus, they fail to see who he truly is and the work that he came, truly, really came to do. Even when earthly eyes look at Jesus as a fine man, they fail to see that he and he alone is the lion from Judah and that his work and its effect in our lives does not make sense to earthly eyes. We need to look at Jesus through those same eyes of faith as that criminal on the cross next to him did. And there we see the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the world, whose blood was poured out for you and for me. And he, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, is the lion. He is the lion from Judah. As paradoxical and contradictory as that may appear to earthly eyes, that is the truth. In Revelation 5, the Apostle John writes, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. How contrary to what earthly eyes see. What a paradox it is. When we look at Jesus through the eyes of faith, he is both the lion and the lamb. He is the priestly king and the bloody sacrifice. He is, or he conquers, death by surrendering his life. How contrary to our human way of thinking, how contrary to earthly eyes, what a different kind of king he is. And just as our king appears to be that paradox, so also our lives are a paradox when we follow him 
We are children of the King, reigning with Him, heirs of heaven, and yet this world counts us as weak, foolish, needing the crutch of religion. What a paradox. The victory has been won. Our King Jesus Christ, like a lion, has grabbed that conniving wolf Satan by the neck and crushed his power. But Satan's, Satan still tempts us with his lies. Faith is a daily struggle to hold on to God's truth. What a paradox. Think about the peace and prosperity that is ours. Our king has secured perfect peace for you, taking away all of your sins, peace with God. He blesses us with spiritual prosperity beyond anything we could ever imagine. Our life is a constant warfare against sin. We struggle against temptations that just seem to grow, that that do grow stronger as our faith grows stronger. Doubts assail us when we see how the people that go their own path succeed and prosper. Our life continues to be a struggle with pains and suffering, loss and death. The more closely we follow Jesus, the heavier the cross. What a paradox our life as a Christian is. But here, dear friends, here is what makes the difference. When we give up on our hopes, dreams, strengths, and ideas. And look at that man dying there, crucified on the center cross. And see him through the eyes of faith, like that criminal did. Then his power, wisdom, and love fill us. How that, gener- how that energizes us, each of us, to live every day, no matter what we may face. For the line of Judah reigns. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.